Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Thoroughly appreciate it. Don't forget to check us out on thereitispod.com. You can look up old information and old blogs and old episodes. And you can, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud. All of the episodes are up on both. You know, Justina and I are coming up on two years living here in New York City, and it's wild. I can't believe that much time has passed. And it really has been one of the greatest things that I've ever done for myself uh, moving here because you're exposed to such great work and such great people. And sometimes you don't realize that you're exposed to great people because there's a lady who has an art studio. She's an artist and she's got a studio next door to where we live. And I bump into her all the time on the sidewalk since we've moved here. And she's so sweet and so outgoing. She's just like a warm, welcoming person. We chatted a bunch. And I I knew she was an artist because she talked about that. But I didn't know to the extent until a few days ago. I Googled her. And she's a big deal. She's had art up at the MoMA, in the Guggenheim, these huge museums. I had no clue. She was just a sweet lady that I bump into every once in a while on the sidewalk. And uh, she's really great. Well, that's New York for you. You get to see amazing shows and then go talk to those people or just interact with somebody. And you don't realize like the greatness that you're interacting with in the moment um, because you don't know anything about the art world. But in truth, like that's just how it is here. And it's a really great thing. It's so edifying. You get to really absorb a lot of, of great energy from amazing people. And today is a perfect example of that because Lorena Rusi is a phenomenal performer and just a really stellar person. I loved getting to chat with her. And I think you'll love getting to hear our chat here too. We get into a lot of things. She does so much. She's really, really great. Love that I live here because then if I didn't live here, I wouldn't know her. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Lorena Rusi. You do a ton of things. So just to put them out there, I mean, you, aside yeah. from being a stand-up, and you do improv, you do sketch, so you do a lot of different kinds of comedy, but you're also a yeah. photographer, and you play soccer, like, professionally. You play for Nike's yeah. New York City team. That's Th- this awesome. This is unfortunately all true. Yeah, I'm going to die <laughs> very soon. So, uh, I'm uh, talking to you now as if I'm, the, I'm, like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, go ahead. A lot of people, like a lot of times I have people on, I I will say like, well, how did you get into that? Or when did you get into that? Obviously you got into soccer when you were a little kid. Well, I started at 20. Uh, it was an incredible gift. (laughs) (laughs) Um, sorry, I'm trying to be as much of a douche. Um, yeah, I got into it as a kid. Yeah. My dad played, um, and like most, uh, Colombian men, 
Mm-hmm. They're like, I will teach my son. And then he got me and he's like, I will work with this. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually used to uh, steal, so I'm from Queens, mm-hmm. and I would uh, steal his soccer balls. We'd go to these tournaments and he uh, would be like, listen, you can't be stealing my balls. And I'd be like two years old, like, la, la, la. <laughs> so he, uh, I have a very uh, type A immigrant attitude about everything. So at like four, I was like, we need to train every other day. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Because he also is the same way. <laughs> so we trained together. And um, truly, just with no connections in the world, uh, just did really well as a, as a young kid and mm-hmm. uh, eventually got on bigger and bigger teams and then uh, quit when I was 14 mm. because I was playing with, like, with, I was playing with 18 year olds. So oh, wow. I was just, yeah, I was really, yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I'm sorry, I don't know if this, what, yeah, very advanced, very uh, advanced, uh, <laughs> advanced algebra. But I, I was like, you know, they were talking about like giving blowjobs and hand jobs and raising children, and I was like, does anyone else with sports ball loose? <laughs> My uh, breath, you call it? Like it was, uh, yeah, it was yeah, different a huge stage in life. Separation, absolutely. Yeah, but but also the other fourteen-year-olds that were on the team, obviously there weren't many. Um, were very mature for their age. So there was just a huge difference. And so I quit, whatever, long story long, and then uh, had some more heartbreak, but essentially was signed to play for Italy and was going to play for the Columbia national team. Wow. Um, What happened? Yeah. So, okay. What happened? So I basically, I was teaching in Italy Mm-hmm. as one uh, with Lost Dreams does. <laughs> so I was teaching uh, uh, English through theater, basically. It was a really cool program, so I was there in Italy all summer. And what was great was that that was my senior year, and it transitioned really nicely because I had gotten signed by Roma FC. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool, I'll go play for Roma. This is fantastic. I'll be a barista. You know, because that's the cool thing about playing abroad is that it's like the total opposite, where... <laughs> Like, we're in America, it's all these, like, beautiful, like, straight uh, white women. Abroad, it's all these uh, POC gay ladies with, like, too many piercings. Mm-hmm. So I was excited because I was like, oh, great, I'll finally uh, be in the majority. <laughs> for mm-hmm. And um, they basically, the week before camp uh, or uh, preseason, were like, oh, no, uh, we're cutting all the internationals. Uh, like without warning, uh, mm. we do, we ran, we don't have any funding. We lost uh, three sponsors, and oh, wow. you know we're just we, we can't do it. And I was like, uh, so then I moved back to New York. I mean, I truly like I had I had planned my entire life to be in fucking Italy. I was like, yeah. great pasta, we love it. <laughs> Give me some mozzarella, teach these kids. I was like training these kids from like nine to three or something, something like that. And, or it's something egregious. And I, it was mm-hmm. like summer and I'd get up at like six to go run. And Dang. then I'd run around with these, uh, ding dongs, uh, <laughs> like 20 Giuseppe's. And then I'd come back home and try to work out. And there's like, they don't, there's like no weight room. Like all the weight rooms in Italy are like from 1984. 
So I'd be with these like four pound barbells, like trying to work mm-hmm. out. Um, so, you know, I mean, if I'd gone to preseason, I probably would have been fucked. <laughs> but then I come back, uh, come back to New York. Like I lost like 14 pounds in muscle. And I'm like, why? I'm ready. Um, I come to New York and uh, I get this tryout with the Colombian national team because my dad, uh, very like fire festival style, he's like, don't worry about it, but I ran into the Colombian national team in the mall, and you have a tryout. I told him about it. I was like, what? He literally ran into the Colombian national team at the mall. Uh-huh. And, like, a, a soccer gator uh, went over to them. and was like, I didn't ask the team. Uh. Um, so I got this tryout. So I'm training all winter for the World Cup. I'm like, this is a, my World Cup team. I'm going to make the World Cup. This is in 2015, so the last, literally the last World Cup for the women. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got pneumonia. Oh I got uh, walking pneumonia and then a cold, which the doctor that I was seeing mm-hmm. couldn't pronounce uh, breath. So instead of going to the World Cup, I was hanging out with this Buharian doctor who was like, are you short of breath? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> this is my life now. <laughs> um wow. And then after that, I was like, what is a really solid, what is a really solid form of living? And I was like, comedy. That is really stable. <laughs> so I, I transitioned seamlessly from one to the other. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Were you doing comedy before that at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started at the Magnet Theater, hello, um, yeah. when I was 19. So I'm almost 28 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do the math. I've gotten younger. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I started there because I took the free, there's a, I had this like free two-hour class, and it was um, like truly what they write commercials for. Mm-hmm. I like left the class, and I was like, I need more. So I, uh, I, I signed up for level one, and then I interned, and then I started doing shows. Like it, I, I really, I had been doing, I was trying to do improv and soccer at the same time since I was 19. Mm-hmm. And now seriously but either way like if you're in college and you have a full class schedule plus soccer practice and then you're running to improv practice like three hour classes at that right so it's like my day i remember my my junior year my day started at seven it was like truly it was in preparation for italy (laughs) (laughs) it started at seven and would end at ten Mm. Yeah, that's when I got my first gray hair. Um, <laughs> that's how women uh, record uh, time, apparently, uh, when they get gray hairs. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've been I've been doing comedy. I, I started doing it when I was nineteen, and then I, I started taking it more seriously when I was like, because I, I quit comedy, I quit everything. I quit comedy um, when I was twenty three because it was very. I used to have a neo Nazi haircut. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I know I say it with pride. <laughs> Einstein drive, baby. I'm kidding. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and this is where I will get recontextualized in a meme in 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I'd been doing comedy, but it was like, I was very abrasive about it because I, there was all these theater kids that were into it. And I had no idea what this was. I was just funny. Like I had no idea what anything mattered. I didn't know about Asians. I didn't know about any of that. And then when I was 23, I was like, okay, I feel like I, I haven't been supported in improv because it's a lot of microaggressions and it's your subconscious bubbling to the surface in a way that can be really problematic. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So unless you check yourself or a coach checks you, I think, you know, very like general improvisers aren't necessarily making the best choices or moves. And a lot of times it can be um, emotionally more difficult for marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. So, Especially um, if you're performing with other people who are still kind of figuring things out. Like if you had a bunch of other college kids in in your improv class, they're still exploring a lot of things about themselves and the world. They're still experimenting a lot. Well, with, um, I was the only. Uh, I was oh, the you were the only one kid. young. Everyone else was like forty-year-old lawyers. Oh, okay, well, you know just, the magnet. The magnet. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone's doing no, that in level ones, or you know, that happens a lot in level one, but it happens in other levels too, of course. And they're jerks. Yeah, but I think I. I mean, I would argue everybody. Everybody's a jerk. It's very hard. It's, mm. You have to get to a place where, as a performer, you don't take it personally. And I think I got to a place where I wasn't. I wasn't there. Mm. Like I was mm. like, how are these? Uh, straight white women making it uh, and doing well, and then here I am dealing with these dickheads and, you know, whatever. So I took some space, and then, you know, the whole soccer stuff happened, and I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. And then I, I basically, I, moved, I lived, was living in Asia, I was teaching in Germany, and then I uh, came back, and start, I was like, I'm going to do uh, comedy and DP stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and then I booked, I booked a, a job at the late show Yeah, and that is, yeah, that is how comedy came back to my life. Yeah. So of course I was going to mention that as well because, you know, again, like <laughs> you, you go through all the things you've done. Yeah. I mean, like just all the comedy you've done in soccer alone, it's like, oh, that's so much. But now you're. I know I am. You know, yeah. You've also worked at Late Show with the digital team, and you've worked at Spotify. Yeah. I mean, there's. Right. Uh, I, I d- How did this happen? You're wondering. Yes, and like, when did photography <laughs> come into your world? Was that something you studied in college? Oh my god, or? dude. So the photography stuff was more like in a very um, the only artsy element of my life was that my. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think is. Um, his version of Instagram was owning a 35 millimeter camera. Nice. And if you look at his photos, he used to travel. So his big thing when I was growing up as a kid, he was like, um, you need to travel. You always need to travel. Uh, I don't care if you don't have money, like I'll help you out. So like he was forever, like you should go travel. And if you look at his photos from when he travels, it's him in a different graphic tee in front of a random, uh, (laughs) building in XYZ country. (laughs) So, he has this camera that he did virtually nothing with, but I guess also for the time, that is what people did. They just documented, mm-hmm. um, like peasants, uh, <laughs> before iPhones. Um, and so I was really interested in taking photos. And so my sophomore year in, in high school, I took a um, photography, a film class mm-hmm. and uh, loved it. And then like always like kind of, dabbled in it so I only would take photos with my 35 millimeter camera which was very um hipster chic mm-hmm. um and then just you know got myself a digital camera I had a, a mentor who helped me like I I went to I was selected to go uh to New Orleans as a part of uh my college so I was a representative of my college this is like a CUNY initiative um and I got to go for free for 10 days and, like, help, um, 
like I, I like help out. It was like five years after Katrina, but there was still a lot of uh, shit that needed to get done, like house, uh, like fixing up houses, uh, potting mm-hmm. trees, um, staring at swamps. Uh, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And the guy there that filmed it, he was a a DP photographer, and he basically was my mentor for the following like six years. And so I'd work on random projects. I'd go with him, you know doing random gigs and then so over time I learned how to like take photos and shoot stuff and then I started writing my own stuff and I was like oh I got to get better at this and so I would um I literally just started I would just basically teach myself like I went to school for media studies but it was all theory like if you mm-hmm. want to talk auteur theory let, I'll do it all day but how to, mm-hmm. what is an ISO that is not what my school taught me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so I think that was the interesting thing was i think learning it uh as i went like you know obviously like watching a shit ton of youtube Mm -hmm. uh combining what i learned in school using the mentorship like i did a fucking ton of weddings you know which wasn't necessarily art but i think that's super helpful in terms of uh endurance um Mm -hmm. so yeah so that's how i got into photography the the long version. Yeah, and you so you went to Queens College. Did you have a scolarship? Because I did, damn, you're amazing. Uh, for academics. I had to make the Hamilton reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly, the only men courting me are uh, the random ones without teeth, and I'll take it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been. You know, it's truly like on paper. It's like I. I understand. I sound like a freak of nature uh, <laughs> in a way where people are like, are you a Ryan Gosling novel? Um, <laughs> but I really, I didn't really have a choice. You know what I mean? Like the reason why I got the late show job was on my resume and just being funny, you know, like people were like, Oh, who, you know, Oh, who do you know? I know this person. I know this person. And then people are like, Oh, who do you know? I'm like, no one. I truly, my two bumbling ding dong parents were literally all they instilled was in me was, uh, you gotta work hard, but also like you love what you do, and like that's <laughs> truly all I've been able to do. Um, so like every pivot and decision I've made as I've gotten older and more mature mm-hmm. has been around that. So like I was at Baruch originally and had a, a full ride, an honor scholarship, um, which is a big deal. But then I was really sad there. I wasn't playing soccer. I was closeted, mm-hmm. you know, and I yeah, uh, transferred to Queens College. Yeah, oh my God, that sounds. Um, I was watching the L word and I was like, what is, what is this? <laughs> um, what does the L word stand for? Um, and I basically uh, went to Queens College and I was like, okay, if you it, truly, I, I don't think I've ever been more badass in my life. And I was, you know, 19. I was like, if you want me to play at your school, I need a full ride. I need extra money. I need this. I need that. And the guy was like, great, done. And it wow. was, I had a really good grade. So it wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, so it was an, it was an academic scholarship, but, um, That's because cool. they were division two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They could, um, they could give me like extra, like I got like extra money for food and books and shit, which was great. That's great. That was four. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, good for you. I, I'm just amazed Thanks, at the things you have accomplished already mm. at you know such a by such a young age and and done so many different things. Mm. So, so were you when you were at Late Show? Were yeah. you also playing soccer regularly and and also when you were at Spotify? Yeah. So 
obviously uh, one always has to take priority over the other. I've mm-hmm. discovered it's taken me a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but once soccer was done, it, it tr- it's like one major. It's not, it's like it's more than a hobby. So it's you can't <clears throat> fully dedicate yourself to a craft and then do other stuff as aggressively. Right. So right. When I was at the late show, no. I mean, I was going through a terrible breakup and mm. was just super sad. So I was playing soccer, kind of. Like, I refused mm. to pay for leave. Mm. Uh, we're learning I uh, don't like to pay for things. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot of random white men in New York that now know I play soccer. Mm-hmm. And so they'll hit me up if they need, because, like, a lot of leagues have to have a minimum amount of women. Mm-hmm. And I uh, lean on that, like a deep, deep crutch, and so they'll they'll call me up to play. So I wasn't I was I was more sorting my emotional self out when I was at the late show, and when I was writing for and then when I was writing for Spotify at that point, I think I was playing for Nike. But they're also like, for me, if I play one time a week, I'm a happy camper. Right. Because right. it's just like I just can't, like I'm trying to write a TV show now. I'm trying to do it like I can't you know, getting to the gym. Like I, I like pulled my quads twice last year. Like I almost oh, ripped it oh. one time. I'm also battling age in that way where I don't yeah. have time to do two hour workouts, but yeah. like I also need to not try to do like 160 pounds uh, of a squat if I haven't been training, you know what I mean? Right. So like the arrogance of a 21 year old Dominican <laughs> prince, uh, the brain capacity of a beautiful big dog, you know? <laughs> So uh, you were on the digital team. You were writing at Late Show for uh, the digital team, and I guess also doing some, uh, maybe some DP stuff. So yeah, yeah. At the digital team, I was I was literally hired as a PA, and mm-hmm. then moved up to where okay. I was working on the digital team and on the social team. Okay. To the point where I was writing and working with them, and then because basically they, I'm trying to figure out how to say this nicely. Um, they, it basically, it wasn't going to move forward where they, they weren't looking to make the digital team. They lost like four members of the team mm-hmm. and then they, tra- they transitioned that from being a creative, uh, arm of the company to a, uh, as I guess most social and digital teams are for late show, uh, regurgitating what the show does. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's time to move on. Yeah. And then you went to Spotify, and you were head writing at Spotify. What were you writing there? This is true, yeah. So there is, Spotify is a website. It's very confusing. People are like, is it like a Hulu original? I'm like, no, it's much worse. <laughs> it is a uh, web series. It's an educational web series called Game Plan. Um, mm-hmm. Really cool, uh, very high production value. So I was working with a creative agency, and... Yeah, it was really interesting. I had never been a head writer before. Um, it was really cool mm-hmm. and really fun. Yeah, I mean, also, it was like, you know, it's for, it's you're not necessarily writing insecure, right? You're like, hmm, what is the best way to explain uh, a playlist to an artist? Um, <laughs> but it, it was cool because I also, I really like doing educational stuff or politically tempted stuff. So um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's cool. I like Spotify. Um, yeah, they were, you know, it's also like, I think every, you know, you're, you're just trying to write and create stuff and you got to figure out what your, uh, 
dream gig is. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that was just a really cool opportunity to make money and learn. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really, I really, I loved it. Since leaving Spotify, you've gone on to focus more on, on just comedy. Uh, it, it's not more like focus. It's more like who will uh, pay me and uh-huh. choose me in this next level of game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I've been focusing on comedy basically. Uh, well, when I was at the late show, obviously it's a comedic show, mm-hmm. but once I left there, I was very hyper-focused on comedy. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is what I need to be doing. Um, because the biggest thing I learned from being there was the writers. Uh, I loved them the most because mm-hmm. they were just really open, kind people that were just trying to like, you know, do their, like they'd worked really hard to get there. And mm-hmm. I don't think I ever understood that mm-hmm. because I was so green in terms of the biz and like what it means to uh, make it as a comedian. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, they just always laughed at what I said and thought, and were super like, I got into stand up because, uh, John Thibodeau, one of the writers, he would literally just be like, you need to do stand-up. I thought you did mm-hmm. stand-up. Why aren't you doing stand-up? And I was like, oh, man, I don't know. Dude. And then that's how I got into stand-up. And then because of my first set ever, um, I, I booked an audition for Wild and Out. Oh, it was awesome. Like, yeah, so it was like me and Jabuki, Young White, at the time when he was a, a, a sweet, innocent, uh, not the actual guy. That dude's, yeah. <laughs> we were, He's, that yeah, guy's so we both doing auditioned. everything. He's doing everything, yeah. So we got our a callback together, and we both had the same hair at the time, mm-hmm. and we were both a gay ethnics, and we were like, we're not gonna make get our, we're not gonna make it, <laughs> and we did not, but uh, for many reasons. But we were like, uh, they're homophobic. Mm. Uh, kidding, they're great. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, I no. mean, you know, whatever. Wild and out's a different show, but yeah. um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like, it was just like trying to do it, and then I mean. I just literally was just, I was just, I just make so much of my own stuff. That's how I've got generated the most interest, I would say. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's been more just about like, yeah, I'm looking for more comedy writing gigs or all that stuff. But at the same time, like I shot something at the UN, you know, like I'll do whatever, mm-hmm. uh, pays. It's really where I'm at. Awesome. Well, uh, we've reached the end of the time that we have. Uh, so now we've reached the end. Yeah. You know, you're, you're doing a lot of great things. Um, I guess to try to, I guess, uh, in a way, create something together. Um, <laughs> I, my question, something that I'm interested in, I think I can learn from you, mm. is how to time manage when you're doing so many different things and you want to do them all, you know, like there, there's several things that you're passionate Mm -hmm. about and you're finding time to do all of them. So what, you know, what sort of advice could you give somebody to do the same if they have multiple things that they're trying to work on? Uh, man, (laughs) uh, I don't know. Don't listen to me. I, uh, (laughs) say goodbye to your friends. Um, (laughs) I think the biggest thing when I was going through that really difficult breakup mm-hmm. and I felt like I didn't have time and I didn't know what was going on with my life. I think the thing that really helped me out was writing out my goals. Like truly, I literally wrote out my goals mm-hmm. and then did said goals. Um, and then just like literally allocated in terms of a, what are my priorities? Mm-hmm. Like I literally this year wrote down just another hoagie. 
Because I was like, I have too much. So what theater shows am I doing? And I'm like, just another hobie. And I'd like to pitch a show here. And then like, I want to do 10 digital shorts. Okay. And I mean, I truly, I live the life of a sad, uh, sadistic monk who like laughs a lot. <laughs> like, I think you really, it, it depends what your goals are, right? Like when I was trying to um, casually do comedy, I was just like meeting people and having a good time. And I'd go and get drunk until four in the morning. And now I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I have to like go home and write. I have to go home and do this. But like, I I am certainly not perfect. I think it's it's very hard. I think you have to. I've learned you just have to make sacrifices. And the more transparent you are with people, um, the better it goes. Mm. But because I would try to be like, no, no, I'll make it, or I only need an hour or whatever. And now I'm like, no, I know my process is like I just need. Uh, a day to write and not be bothered by anybody or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I need to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I go crazy mm-hmm. um, or like need that break or like, you know, like I need to see friends. So basically Google calendar and mm-hmm. um, that's the, the, like when I was a kid, when I was younger, I would right. make these calendars by hand <laughs> which was like really sad because I would change them all the time. I'd be wasting more time making the calendars than actually uh, figuring out my life. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's even helpful at all. No, um, I think it's very helpful actually because um, some things that I've read just on like themuse.com or whatever, um, they w- the were news. saying similar things about uh, um, writing out goals and then just prioritizing things. And, that, and it's making right. a conscious effort to... One thing I do mm. want to know is when you are like when you were going through that tough breakup, that can be such a distraction mm. from work. So how were you able to still focus on work? Was it because, you know, it was a big gig working at something like The Late Show? And so it's like, I don't have time to think about, you know, what's making me sad right now. Or were oh, you? Oh, no, I was a mess. Yeah, I was a mess. I mean, I, I was a total nightmare there. Um, so you're just, I it's just truly, a matter of getting through it then. Yeah, I did not do, if I could do it all over again, I would not have gone through that breakup and then worked at a dream job. Mm. I, wow, no, no, no. Uh, the, every, every decision I made during that year was incorrect until I decided to get my shit together. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just, I basically hit a rock bottom where I was like so drunk. Uh, from grilled cheeses or so drunk and then ate grilled cheeses Mm -hmm. that I vomited in a cab in a plastic bag and like barely remember it. Mm -hmm. And the next day I was like, I need to change my life. Um, uh, So it was basically the only thing helping was that I had consistent income. Mm -hmm. So I think I would have gotten my ass handed to me sooner if I was freelancing like I am now. Because, you know, when you're freelancing, you don't have time to freak out like you just have to keep going and figuring shit out mm-hmm. um otherwise you just get fucked um but yeah no that year i mean i literally was like 12 pounds overweight like i was just mm. like if i didn't dress in loose blankets people would have noticed but i was like <laughs> heavier and just sadder mm. yeah i mean that story is also in a podcast you know it's just mm. it's been a roller coaster right well, I'm glad you're on the other side of that. Oh, God. Uh, me too. Me too, dude. <laughs> well, Lorena, you are one of my new favorite people. So thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, my God. Get out of here. Jason Farr. 
Um, listen, thanks for having me. Thanks for talking to me so early. Lorena Rusi, she is so great and definitely one of my new favorite people, and not because she has amazing hair, though she does have amazing hair, but because she's so funny and talented and interesting and just so great, and I'm really, really glad that I'm here and able to experience her work. And we were talking at 9 a.m. that morning because she's so busy and doing a lot of different things that that's when she had time and she had 30 minutes to give us. And we are so appreciative of her giving us some of her time. Well, if you want to find more of her work and just hear more about her, why don't you go to her website, LorenaRussi.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at Colonial Manface. Links in bio. Of course, you can follow us at There It Is Pod on Twitter and Facebook and me at Jason Farr Jokes on Twitter and at Jason Farr Picks on Instagram. Next week's episode is with Hannah Chase, one of the magnet greats. She's a phenomenal person and improviser and teacher and coach and director. And you're going to hear all about her next week. You're also going to hear me use the word malleable in the conversation. So let's see if I use the word correctly. (laughs) I believe I did, but I am not 100% certain yet. (laughs) All of that next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 